Issues that matter to you. Expanded on the KRMG Morning News 8 a.m. In-Depth Hour. 8.01, special edition of the KRMG Morning News 8 a.m. In-Depth Hour, Valentine's Day edition. Faith, hope, and love, the Bible says. The greatest of these is love, but is love possible without hope? Dr. Chan Hellman is a professor at OU who studies hope, the science of hope, and he's developed a global reputation as an advocate for hope, runs the Hope Research Center. Dr. Hellman, welcome to the KRMG Morning News. Good morning. Thank you. Rick and I had the opportunity to see you last year give a a speech at a KRMG event, uh, which was uh, for STEM students at, uh, at Community Care College. And we were both so floored by what you had to say about the science of hope and about its effect on trauma and adversity, and especially childhood trauma, uh, that we said at the time, we've got to have Dr. Hellman in for an 8 a.m. in-depth hour. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to do it, but I'm glad you're here on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Thank you. Is love possible without hope? Uh, probably not. Uh, hope is uh, a mindset that drives our uh, behaviors, and uh, we also know that hope is a social gift that is born in relationships. So hmm. love has to be a big part of that. Okay, let's break this down because I know people are kind of rolling their eyes probably thinking, oh, they're going to talk for a whole hour about hope. Give me hope. Um, you're talking about goals that each of us have. Every day when we get up, we have goals. We're going to go to work. We're going to do this. We're going to get this done. We're going to Hope is what is that feeling that we have that we're going to get those things done, right? Yeah, that's right. It's actually uh, a cognition. It's a way of thinking. It's not so much a, a feeling. So the idea is that each and every one of us do set goals in our lives uh, that we're pursuing from the moment we get up till the moment we go to bed. The real question is whether or not you have the ability to identify the pathways or strategies to achieve those goals. And then ultimately, are you motivated? pursue those pathways. So without any of those things, it's just wishes or dreams. That's right. That's right. And that is how we distinguish uh, hope. Hope is about taking action to pursue your goals, whereas wish is just desire for an outcome. Okay. All of those things are great to talk about in abstract because all of us, you know, would, I think, uh, like help in attaining our goals. And if hope gives us the power to do that, fine, great. But we're going to talk about something much more concrete, and that is the effect that having hope has on a child, let's say. And let's and I really want to focus on the child because most of your research has been in the effects of hope on child kids who've suffered childhood trauma, right? Yes, that's right. How important is hope to a child? So hope is the mindset uh, that drives resilient behaviors. And so what we've been really focusing on is how uh, adverse childhood experiences, Uh, influence a child's capacity to think about the future. Uh, What we've learned is that high trauma children uh, are more likely to set avoidant type goals as opposed to achieved goals. What do you mean avoidant goals? So these are things that we don't want to occur. Um, And so if we're focused uh, day to day on things that we don't want to happen, like upset our parents or uh, get in trouble, um, maybe for our age, maybe not get arrested, Uh, those kinds of things. That's an avoidant goal. And those avoidant goals really drive the way we think about pathways. Um, Higher hope individuals are more likely to set achievement-oriented goals, uh, goals that we want to pursue that may stretch us. So uh, understanding the nature of the goals. We also know that um, uh, children experiencing maltreatment um, are more likely to set short-term goals than long-term goals. So 24 to 48 hours become very important to, Mm. to this group. 
you know, we ought to probably say right there, because your story, you know, when you started, we we're listening, but then you told your story and we realized how you came to this project and to this career path. Can you tell us that? Sure. Um, I spent a good part of my uh, seventh grade through high school homeless uh, in a fairly rural community. And so uh, for me, school became um, the safe place. It became the place that I got to eat, a place that I um, got to take a shower. I have a pretty high uh, A score. and Okay. Let's talk about that first, right. uh, and, and we'll break it down more. But that is a that's a trauma score, right? That is correct. That is correct. It's uh, it's an established score. the The CDC Center for Disease Control um, uh, monitors this at the national level as well as for each state, and it's it's based upon ten categories that may have happened to you during your uh, your childhood in the categories of abuse, neglect, and dishold, uh, dysfunctional household, like divorce. And it's a 1 to 10 scale? It's a 1 to 10 score. The higher the score, the more adversities you've experienced. And your score was? I was an 8. Okay. So you you had been through, and we've seen this list, and I think we'll probably put it up with a story about this about this hour, because uh, you can take this test yourself, and it only takes a matter of minutes. That's right. But, okay, so you scored an, an 8 on the trauma test. Um, pick it up from there. Um, so, uh, you know, that with, with those traumas and with those adversities, I, I think for me personally, um, I began to recognize that I probably, um, I, I, well, I just didn't expect to live past the age of 25, to be mm. honest with you. And so I started to live my life that way. Um, and in eighth grade, it was a, it was a really difficult time cause I, you know, I was experiencing this homelessness and, and being alone basically. And, you know, from that created this, um, this framework that I just didn't matter. Um, and so with that, and this is fairly common, becomes the, you know, sort of suicidal ideation kind of thing. And I think for me, the critical aspect, um, and this is why I believe with all my heart that hope is a social gift. Um, I had a, a teacher in my school who literally just came up and sat down with me for about three minutes, didn't say anything just sat with me. And um, as he got up to leave, he just leaned in and said, you're going to be okay. And for mm-hmm. me personally, that that was the event that changed my mind about the suicidal. One place. sentence from one adult, mm-hmm. and you can look back as an adult now and say that was the turning point in your young life. It, it was a very significant turning point in my life. And let me, let me highlight this. Um, I actually had the opportunity to speak to this individual a couple of years ago the uh, teacher, this, this teacher, yeah. and I decided to go ahead and tell that story. And um, you know, I tried to kind of symbolize it like he did. You know, I kind of sat down beside him. I didn't say anything, and I just leaned into him and I said, "You know, you're the reason I'm alive." And his wow. his reaction, he just turned and looked at me and he said, "I did what?" <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I absolutely love that because it really highlights that. Um, just little simple things uh, can make a difference in a child's life that that help them understand that they matter. How did you become a hope scientist then? Yeah, so um, as a quantitative uh, psychologist, first of all, always interested in human behavior. Oh, uh, I gave you a doctorate earlier. You're yeah, not a psychiatrist, yeah. well, you're a psychologist. I, I, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I can't prescribe drugs. Okay. Uh, um, 
um, in that fashion. But um, quantitative psychologist means you study statistics. I do. I study statistics, the philosophy of science, and research methodology. And I didn't come into this interested in uh, hope. I actually have a great passion for our nonprofit human service agencies, uh, child abuse, homelessness, domestic violence, and our community is a very strong community philanthropically in that in that regards and uh, literally just stumbled into this idea of hope and uh, it changed my life personally and professionally because I realized that hope was the single best description of what takes place in our community. I'm going to ask you for some specific examples here in a little bit but just just overall how do you apply hope scientifically to say a child who has suffered childhood trauma and have it make a difference? Or is it more like the casual conversation the teacher had with you? So I think, I think it's a combination of those. You know, I think, um, and what I teach when I go to school districts and work with others is this importance of the, of the social connectedness. Um, as an example, one of the school districts I'm working with uh, identified that there were 30 children in this middle school that nobody knew uh, towards the end of last semester. No teachers, no counselors, no principals knew who this child was. Now, you have to also recognize that these are children who've probably moved eight times right. um, and, and on and on. So, And what they intentionally did was identified uh, each of these children and two adults from that school made a commitment to spend 20 minutes a week with each of those, those children. So that social connection is – it's just simple. Now – when we're working with um, with children, what we have to uh, lean into is developing an authentic relationship uh, with them. But ultimately, it's trying to identify what goals they desire. You know, what is important in them. And remember, you know, uh, trauma means that we're starting to think twenty four to forty eight hours out. So, you know, we might not want to think and talk to a middle school child about what they're going to do in college. Yeah. You know, we're probably going to be more interested in what's going on with them this week. How do you steer them away from the avoidant goals? I don't want to make my mom and dad mad. I don't want to get in trouble. How do you steer them away from that toward, uh, you know, desirable goals? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I, I will tell you that what we do first is we lean into the avoidant goal. And um, because hope begets hope, and mm-hmm. I, this is critical, um, if, we, if we work with that child on that avoidant goal and help them achieve that goal – they'll start to see that the future is possible. And this is how we define hope. Hope is the belief that the future will be better and that I have a role to play in making that happen. And so as that child begins to experience these small steps of success, uh, they'll start to see the future in a different different light. And they will transition to an achievement goal. But we start we start right where they are. So if, if they're spending all their time with you know, avoidant hope, I hope I don't make dad mad, mm-hmm. um, and, and you want to get them to steer that around and start looking at what can I do to make myself better, do you have to first say to them, you're going to be okay, this thing you're trying to avoid isn't as bad as you think it is? Well, um, in, in a sense, um, in, you know, the reason I'm a little hesitant is because in some of the children, um, it is, it's a legitimate fear. Yeah. And so um, in those cases, we also want to work very closely with the parents and help them understand uh, that the way that they uh, think of parenting as normal is maybe not quite uh, what a child needs. And so you, know, you think about um, parenting skills as pathways of hope for 
you know, positive parent-child relationship. So, you know, you, you, you really, you can certainly work with that child, but you also want to think about the family as well. I'd like to get uh, members of our audience to start thinking about hope. Do you have hope in your life? What are your desires and your hopes? Or do you spend most of your time hoping to avoid things that are not pleasant to you? Hit the open mic button on the KRMG app. Join the conversation, Dr. Chan. <laughs> See, I tried to make you a doctor. Mm-hmm. I, well, it's a PhD. Oh, you, a okay. He, yeah. is, he is a Dr. Chan Hellman, OU professor, director of the Hope Research Center. 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's news and talk, where we tell you the three big things you need to know every 15 minutes, all day. Now, back to the KRMG Morning News, 8 a.m. in-depth hour. I had to dig around looking for this one. This is uh, Hope by Shaggy, theme song from For the Love of the Game. For the Love of the Game. Kevin Costner playing a Detroit Tigers pitcher. As we talk Hope with Chan Hellman, OU professor and director of the Hope Research Center, I got to tell you, you need to change your name because ever since I met you, I've been wanting to call you Chan Hopewell. (laughs) 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 And that fits. Uh, Chan Hellman it is. How long have you been in the Tulsa area? Uh, I've been here since 1995. Do you find this to be a hopeful place? I do. Uh, Tulsa is a very magical place uh, just in terms of my work with nonprofits and the philanthropic community, the arts. Um, it's just a very giving uh, community, uh, and I just love working here in, in my hometown. We're going to try to be really practical for the last uh, 40 minutes or so of this hour and, and really kind of drill down on how hope can be applied to get real life results. And I mentioned before the break that to, to have actual hope and for, for it not to be a wish, you have to have a way of getting to what you desire. Um, you have to have that, that, that pathway. And you also have to have agency. You have to have power over what you're going to get to do next. And a lot of the kids that we're talking about here don't have either of those, do they? That's correct. You know, children, children in general have pretty limited power and control over their lives. True. You know, and so they have to rely on adults and, and others to help them uh, not only get outside of the house, uh, but to pursue those those goals. We've actually conducted a study that shows that parents are drivers of hope of adolescents. Uh, but in the absence of nurturing parenting, what we found is that connection to community resources, extracurricular activities, um, actually creates a well-being indicator that's very similar to, uh, to nurturing parents. Can you tell how sick or healthy a community is just by measuring its hope? And we've done that. We've done that here in Tulsa uh, last year, and then there's a couple of other communities uh, out in the state of Washington and others that uh, we're starting to look at not only um, what a hope-informed community looks like, but uh, this concept of collective hope and how. And what we found in Tulsa, by the way, is that individual hope actually uh, was highly correlated to voter turnout. Uh, and it was also correlated uh, pretty strongly with uh, life expectancy. So there is such a thing as group hope leading to individual hope then? There is. And actually, um, an individual can be somewhat lower in hope and be very good with collective hope because of the social connections. So uh, pardon me for interrupting sure. a little bit, but as as the city does certain things, the gathering place opens, as new employers come here, as you feel that momentum, 
that can do that? Absolutely. Um, so it gives, you know, part of goals we have to think about is, you know, this collective vision, this this idea, uh, you know, and I think we see that with our leadership in our community, not only the gathering place, but, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to think about what Tulsa could become um, and, and thinking larger than just uh, locally. We're thinking regionally and, and nationally as well. That allows individuals to, you know, to start seeing a vision or something that is possible. And so then the real question becomes, how do we begin to generate uh, ideas about possible pathways? We also pay a lot of attention to things called uh, hope models. So we can watch other people and how they pursue their pathways, whether that's a community or an individual or a school. And we can use that to help us better understand how to pursue those pathways. Um, we're welcoming your questions about hope and about its impact on the community and on individuals via open mic on the KRMG app. How does hope tie in with coping skills? Is hope the number one coping skill? Well, no. Um, so coping skills are, are very important. And we have to think about, um, you know, if my goal is to have a better life, uh, coping skills become some of those pathway components by which to um, overcome adversity or to live within adversity. Okay. Um, and, I, and I think that's pretty pretty important. We've actually conducted several studies with uh, – uh, women coming out of prison, for instance, uh, and we found that hope actually was a better predictor of well-being than the coping skills mechanisms. It isn't that the coping skills uh, strategies that uh, that people have or are learning are, are necessarily not good or, or not bad. It's just that hope is a better predictor. It's a stronger predictor. You can have all the coping skills in the world, but if you have nothing that you're applying those skills to get to – then what good are they? They're just skills. That, well, that's correct, and you you have to have a goal. Uh, yeah. Without without a goal, there's there's just no way to think about uh, pathways. The other thing I'll highlight is um, a lot of a lot of individuals have fairly dysfunctional coping skills. Chan Hellman is with OU, director of the Hope Research Center. It's a special Valentine's Day KRMG Morning News, eight a.m. in depth hour. Issues that matter to you expanded on the KRMG Morning News, eight a.m. in depth hour. Dan Potter and Rick Corey with our special guest, Dr. Chan Hellman, OU professor and director of the Hope Research Center. We are talking on this Valentine's Day about hope and how hope makes a whole range of things possible. I kind of cut you off in the last half hour, Dr. Hellman, and somebody caught me on it. I don't really have a question. That was just such a fascinating story about uh, your youth. I was wondering if you could just tell us more about how you uh, got out of being homeless and and where, how you got to where you are today. You know, the, the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you don't have hope, you can't do that, can you? Well, that's, that's, that's a good statement, you know. Uh, and again, hope is uh, the mindset that drives resilient behaviors. You have to, you have to be able to imagine, uh, you know, a future that's different uh, than what you're experiencing. And I'll just tell you that it's, it's really tied to social connectedness. Um, you know, I had significant... Um, uh, adults in my life. I mean, the fact that I graduated high school is is kind of an amazing uh, experience. Uh, interestingly enough, when I went to college, it was an avoidant goal um, because I was really thinking about all of the options that I had, which was to work on somebody's farm, work at a prison, go to prison, join the military, or go to college. So I chose going to college, and I tell you this because my first semester GPA, GPA, excuse me, 
is a 0.56. <laughs> and so um, it turns Only out – The guy I've heard that had lower than my high school, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to be in advanced swimming and lifesaving. That's sort ah, of the, the saving grace. That's what so. pulled you up, so to speak. <laughs> but, you know, going to class wasn't a pathway to the goals that I, that I had set. And so – uh, you know, just uh, uh, take that a little bit further. You know, you two and the, everybody here can be a professor at the University of Oklahoma because, you know, if I can get there from a 0.56, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So we've already talked about the turning point in high school. What about in college then? What, you know, what redirected you from that avoidant goal to – uh, a productive goal, sure, an attainable one. Sure. So uh, a, a lot of this will have to be, you know, a dedication to my wife, uh, who uh, big driver, but also very, very supportive throughout my my life. And uh, when we uh, went back to college, uh, when she went to college and I went back to college, um, I took a psychology class, and my world completely changed. I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. Hmm. I wanted to be a professor which was the transition from avoidant to achievement. And suddenly all of the classes started to become pathways to the goals that I, that I set. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, we probably should have covered this right at the beginning because I can hear people saying, well, how do you even measure hope? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like trying to grab a handful of air. Right, yeah. Uh, great question. So uh, there is a, uh, there's a couple of um, uh, measurement tools that we use. Um, there's the Adult Hope Scale. It's a self-report. Uh, people can find it online, uh, Adult Hope Scale. Um, it's, uh, it's a self-response uh, test, eight items, um, and it has some pathways items and, and agency items. We also have a Children's Hope Scale that is validated for uh, kiddos between the ages of uh, 7 and 17. Okay. And you've actually applied those uh, in many places around the country, including here in Tulsa. Um, what do you find about childhood hope and adult hope here? Yeah, so um, hope is the is the single best predictor of well being. It, it is the the predictor of our capacity to thrive for both children, adolescents, and adults. And we find it over and over and over again, different populations, different settings, compared to other variables. It just outperforms everything. Hmm. Um, once you know a community or say an organization's hope score then how do you begin applying methods that will increase it and make people more hopeful? Sure. So uh, let, me, let me take on the organizational one first. Um, you know, if you think about the strategic planning process, it is essentially setting the goals or the visions for that organization. Uh, then, the, then the issues become identifying the, the pathways. What I really wanted to get into was, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm an organizational leader, first of all, leaders who score higher in hope – uh, tend to have employees with stronger problem-solving skills and creativity, and they also see their leaders as transformational rather than transactional. But for an employer to be able to understand their the goals that an employee has, we can begin to see that maybe my goal uh, or the organization's goal is actually a pathway to the employee's goal, and we can start to see some ways in which we can avoid conflict and actually embrace each other's goals. Have you had concrete results here in town that you can point to? Absolutely. Um, uh, so many of our nonprofit organizations um, uh, where we've begun to integrate HOPE um, measurements and, and seeing tremendous outcomes in you know, high-trauma children. Uh, we see wonderful, wonderful gains in uh, parents who have had their children removed where we – 
uh, integrate hope-based parenting programs and you know, reunification and uh, positive parenting practices really, really emerge. We could talk about many different agencies, but it's just, it's powerful. This is a special time. You were saying this during the break, a special time for Tulsa. And that's because we have hopeful leadership. We do. I think uh, that, that visionary framework, um, and I, and I think that's true for our, for our state, but you know, it's, it's our leadership saying, um, this is what we could be. Um, and, and, um, you know, it's a belief that the future can be better. We don't need to be avoidant in, in our community. We can achieve great things. We have tremendous resources in Tulsa, um, mostly in the people that, that live here. Yeah, the philanthropy and that kind of thing, which is very strong here. Having said that, you looked at our new state logo. Do you think it's hopeful? I do. Actually, I think it's a, it's a very catchy. It's got a, a lot of diversity in, uh, in its colors. Uh, and I actually uh, was traveling around the state yesterday talking, so I didn't get a chance to, to see it until just now. So I appreciate you showing it. I want to ask you something else about something you said. You talk about the, the momentum, and Dan mentioned the political things. Well, when when momentum comes from one political side, the other side generally doesn't like it just because it came from that other side. doesn't matter which side either, right? I mean, that's fair, isn't it? Yeah. I think it happens. How can hope deter cynicism sure. from the people who then become the detractors immediately because that's just not their side? Yeah, so usually the – and I get this, this conversation fairly frequently, and usually it starts by uh, comparing one side to the other in the context of hope versus fear. And uh, just my own observations of that, I, I think that both sides actually have fairly common goals. Uh, what I think is that the pathways to get to those goals are what kind of differentiate us. And, uh, and I think that if we could go back and start with – the fact that we all share the goals, the common goals of a better city, a better state, um, a better nation, you know, then we can work through and negotiate and, and debate those pathways. Um, Which is a stronger motivator, hope or fear? Uh, well, Hunger Games, right, uh, says hmm. that uh, uh, hope is the only thing that can uh, that can overcome fear. Um, so, you know, fear is definitely a motivator and, and certainly a part of that avoidant goal that I was talking about yeah. uh, earlier. And so, you know, what, uh, what we have to also imagine is the courage that's required to begin to go down pathways and chase goals uh, that we may not be familiar with. So we have to find ways to, to create short-term opportunities for success. Dr. Hellman's methods are being used by DHS, by schools. We're going to talk about uh, whether they're successful in just a moment. KRMG Morning News, 8 a.m. In-depth hour. Chan Hellman, OU professor and director of the Hope Research Center. 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's news and talk, where we tell you the three big things you need to know every 15 minutes, all day. Now, back to the KRMG Morning News, 8 a.m. In-depth hour. It is Valentine's Day, and we are talking hope with Dr. Chan Hellman. Professor at OU, director of the Hope Research Center, and I would imagine that a lot of you are probably already familiar with Dr. Hellman because he has, he's, he, how many speaking engagements do you think you do in a year? Uh, this semester I'm doing a little over 40, so probably 100 plus. 100 plus. A lot of them around here, but again, you're speaking nationally and globally as right, well right. about hope. And we're taking your questions via open mic. Um about hope. How does hope come into play uh, concerning things like gambling addiction? Or more broadly, just addiction in general? Sure. Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, so 
one of the things I'll start by saying is that you know if our if our goal is uh, is well being or happiness or in this particular case to you know hit a big hit a big win and our pathway is is gambling and I'm highly motivated to do that then I'm really a hopeful person mm. you know um, and so one of the things that we know is that some people have hope with very dysfunctional pathways because there's many different pathways to uh, to acquiring you know finances and so. Uh, as an example, within the within the framework of addiction, twelve step programs to me are pathways of hope to okay. to help change that. Can hope release dopamine in the brain, just yeah, like gambling yeah. or any other yeah. addiction? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's some studies that show that it uh, that you know uh, as we begin to pursue and achieve our goals, the the pleasure chemicals in our brain start to start to play out. Um, obviously, making us feel better and feel more excited. Yeah, I was telling you about my daughter. She's in her teaching at A&M, Texas A&M. It's her, it's her student teaching as a senior in education. She had kids yesterday in class. She called home asking about this, who she's teaching math, which she's very good at. And that they'll start a problem. They immediately go, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I can't understand this. So they don't even try to get into it. And they talk about how their mom and dads are going to be mad at them. How, I mean, the one girl went almost exactly through what you said. I'm not going to graduate. I'm not going to pass this test. Uh, you know, my mom and dad, I'm not going to get a job. That obviously starts very young, but how do you start the intervention to getting them? Imagine being that teacher in the classroom who feels so overwhelmed by all those problems trying to teach two plus two. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and let me let me ask uh, ask you both this uh, in response to that. What's the opposite of hope? I was going to ask you the same thing. Is fear the opposite of hope? Well, so most people will say things like despair. Right okay, is yeah. the opposite of of hope, and 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 actually in in the science and the theory of hope, what we know it's apathy. Apathy is the opposite of hope, and so you know when we were working with uh, with youth who are having these these frameworks where uh, you know in that case uh, may not be uh, all the way into apathy, but uh, moving towards despair, you know, which is the stage right before apathy, and you know, so the idea is to uh, to slow down to identify you know, what that uh, child's goals are, you know, that youth's uh, goal, and to start taking those smaller steps. So the idea is that this student is is overwhelmed, right, with all of the things that they have to achieve. And so what we want to do is we want to break down those little benchmarks, those first steps that they have to achieve in really small, small increments. Um, and, you know, we have to do both pathways work as well as willpower work. You know, when you're in despair and, and chaos, time becomes urgent and whatever has mm-hmm. to happen has to happen now. So we have to also find strategies to, to kind of uh, mitigate that, that chaos and crisis. And, you know, research is clearly showing and we've certainly done some publications on mindfulness practice. Uh, just even short breathing exercises can help help mitigate that. But that's actually the work I'm interested in is despair and apathy and how do we turn that needle But around. in the end, the small successful step leads to the next one. That's absolutely right. Stay focused on the trail. Don't focus on the mountain. Interesting. This whole hour has been fascinating. I, I could keep going for a couple more. Unfortunately, our, our time's run out. Chan Hellman, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. This is a great opportunity and honor. Thank you. Um, we will make the ACE test. That's the uh, childhood trauma test. And I think the adult trauma test as well available uh, online. We're going to build out a story at KRMG.com and on the KRMG app. So maybe around lunchtime today as you're, uh, you have a little time to check this out. Um, we hope to have it up by then. And you can take the test yourself and and see what your score is and might learn a little bit about yourself and about the pathway that you're on right now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.